This is Thanksgiving week. How many are excited? All right. That's kind of a mixed group, isn't it? Maybe some of you are thinking about all the preparations you have yet to make before it happens and that you'll be excited on Friday. And um, others of you have got to go see some relatives and they're, they're not your favorites, perhaps. Um, I don't know what it is, but, but we want to focus this morning on giving thanks. And so we want to thank God today. And as I think about thanking the Lord, you know, people do different things. Sometimes they make lists of things that they're thankful for. And if I were to ask you, what are you thankful for? You might think of some specific things, blessings that you've received perhaps in the past year or over the course of your life or something that's going on. And you're just really thankful to God for that. But if I were to ask you who you are thankful for, who would come to mind? That's what we want to give our attention to today. We want to thank God for his people because it's taught in Scripture that we thank God for people, and we want to give attention to that today. The title of this morning's message, Thank God for His People. I want to call attention to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and I just want to read this single verse, and then we're going to look at several other passages from the writings of the Apostle Paul today. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, not just Christians, for all men. And so the question that comes to my mind is, I can understand why supplications need to be made for all men, prayers for all men, intercessions for all men, but giving of thanks for all men? Are we truly being told to give thanks for all people? We just came through an election cycle. I didn't hear people giving thanks for all men through that. And yet that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. So why, why should we give thanks for everybody, for all people, for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl? Why do we give thanks for them? Well, I think one obvious reason is that God created each one. They are made in the image of God. They have the capacity and the potential to make the invisible God visible through their life. They had that ability. They don't know that. They may not be a Christian, but he desires, and it says in this passage, we didn't read the whole passage, but he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and so for no other reason, I should give thanks for the fact that they exist. God made this person, and God loves this person, and God desires that this person would know him and so God created each one but but here's something else I want you to think about the people in your life people who know Jesus those who don't know Jesus were to give thanks for all of them another reason to consider is that they're not in your life by accident God has placed each person in your life for a specific plan a reason and that may be that that person would impact your life in some way but also may be that you are going to impact that person's life in some way but we give thanks for all people because we know that each person in my life is there placed by God there are no accidental relationships 
So God's at work in these people. And he's at work in you. You've been placed in their life. They may or may not be thankful for you, but, but, but you have been placed in their life for a specific reason. Now, when we think about thanking God, it makes sense. I can give thanks to God because he is the creator. He made me. He has given me things. He has blessed me. I can make sense of that. But when we think about thanking God for other people, why should we do that? What, what value is there in giving thanks to people or God, to God for people? What's, what's going on with that? Well, there are a couple of reasons. I believe it's important that we, we thank God, and this is just all preliminary, but, but first of all, when we express appreciation, and you know what appreciation does, don't you? Appreciation increases value. It's similar to the word honor that we've studied some years ago. The word honor means to add value or to determine the value of someone, the worth of, of an object or a person, honor. We establish their value. And appreciation, the, very, the word in English means to increase. And so when I'm expressing appreciation, I am adding to, I'm increasing you in some way. We know what depreciation is, don't we? That's what happens when you drive that new car off of the lot depreciation. It decreases in value. Well, appreciation increases value. And why do we need to express appreciation? There's a couple things. Appreciation strengthens people. It builds people up. Now, the Apostle Paul, in the verses we're going to read in just a moment, he makes this apparent. He thanks God for the faith he sees in people, for the love he sees in people, because this is something that God is doing. And by writing these letters to these people and saying, I thank God for you because I see your faith. I know God's at work in you. I couldn't see faith in you unless God was at work. I couldn't see that kind of love in a person unless God was at work in that person. And so what is he doing? He's building them up. He is, he is saying, I can confirm that God is at work in your life. And I thank God for you. It strengthens people. It motivates people. You know, when we express appreciation to someone for something that they've done, they tend to be motivated to do it again. When we don't express appreciation to someone for something they've done, they're not motivated to do it again. Now, that can't be the only reason why you and I do the things we do. I should do what I do out of a sense of calling, out of a sense of obedience, out of a sense of serving the Lord. But appreciation motivates people. It motivates you, doesn't it? And, um, and so it builds people up and it motivates people. Now, when Paul thinks about people in the Scripture, when he thinks about them, he prays for them. I thank God for every remembrance of you. Every time someone comes to mind, when he thinks about them, he begins to pray for them. And when he prays for them, invariably, he gives thanks for them. And as we look through the passages of Scripture, and I sit down and did this, when I look at the way Paul gives thanks for people, there are four groups of people or four areas in the lives of people, but there's four things or four groups of people that Paul's giving thanks for. And I wonder if some of these people aren't in your life, if these aren't people that you and I need to give thanks for. And, and I need to express appreciation for his people in my life. He thanks God for these individuals, and they tend to fall into four groups. 
I need to express appreciation for his people in my life. Here are the four groups. Now, after each one of these, we're going we're gonna to go through a little exercise. So you, you want to pay attention. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come stand up here and recite anything. But you just want to stay engaged, okay? Here's the first one. I need to express appreciation for his people in my life. Here's the first. Who would do anything for me? People who would do anything for me. Do you have someone in your life that you know they would do anything for you? In Romans chapter 16, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now Priscilla and Aquila were a couple that the Apostle Paul first met in Corinth. And they were tent makers like Paul was. And the Bible says in Acts 18 that Paul actually lived with Priscilla and Aquila while he was in Corinth. And when he left Corinth, they'd become so close that Priscilla and Aquila went with Paul, traveled to Ephesus. Paul was on his way back to, to Syria, to the Middle East. But on the way, they stopped in Ephesus and Priscilla and Aquila stayed in Ephesus. And now when we come to Romans 16, we see that Priscilla and Aquila actually have a church meeting in their home. And we don't know what Paul was referring to when he said that they risked their necks for me. And we give thanks to them for that. And not only us, but to all the churches, all the, all the churches of the Gentiles are thanking God for Priscilla and Aquila. Now, we don't know what it was that they did, but when someone risks their neck for you, I believe they would risk everything for you. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ does this when he stands between you and the wrath of God on the cross. We studied this word last summer. It's the word propitiation. And that one of the many things Jesus accomplished on the cross was that when he died there, all of the judgment, all of the wrath, all of the, the hell, the eternity of hell that your sins deserved, Jesus put himself between you and the wrath of God when he was on the cross. And he, he absorbs and turns away the wrath of God that you provoked by your own sin. He was willing to do anything for you. In fact, he did. He didn't just risk his neck. He gave him, himself for you. It stands to reason that when someone comes to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside that person, that as Christ is formed in you and me, we become like that for one another. We become a people who would do anything for the people of God. And, and that's what he was describing, Priscilla and Aquila, who would do anything for me. I thank God for them. And in this particular case, he says, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches. I'm thanking them directly. Do you have someone in your life who would do anything for you? This week, I, I hope that perhaps as a consequence of this Bible study this morning, you might take some time to pick up the phone and call that person or write them a note and to say, I thank God for you this week. 
I thanked God for you this week because I know you would do anything for me. That's a precious gift from God. That person's not in your life by accident, and they are precious. So I'm going to ask you to do something for me just a moment. Would you bow your heads? Everyone, just bow your heads. This is audience participation. Just bow your head, close your eyes. And if I ask you the question, is there someone in your life who would do anything for you? Does someone come to mind? Do you have a Priscilla in your life? Do you have an Aquila in your life? And for the next few moments, would you just thank God for that person in your heart? Father, all over the room, we give you thanks, Lord, for these Priscilla's and Aquila's in our life. We don't understand it, Lord, that someone could love us like that, but we're thankful that there are men and women that we know who would do anything for us because Jesus did everything for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one group of people are those who would do anything for me. But Paul thanks God for another group of people. And these are people who will always be there for me. Always be there for me. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes to the Philippians, I thank my God. Upon every remembrance of you. Remember, whenever someone comes to mind, the next thing Paul does is pray for them. When people come to your mind, that's a great way to respond. I just thought about somebody the other day. Did you pray for them? And that's what Paul would do. They come to mind and he prays for them. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Now, why does he do that? For your fellowship in the gospel... From the first day until now. I thank God for you because of your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day, you heard the gospel, you got saved, you became part of the family of God, you became part of my family, you became my brothers and sisters, and he says, I thank God for you from the very first day until now. Someone who has stuck with you. That's what Paul's appreciating when he thinks of the Philippines. Someone who has stuck with him. They have been there from the very beginning to support him. Paul, we're with you. They were his cheerleaders. We're with you. We're behind you. We're praying for you. We're there for you. What, ask us what you need. We're on it. They're the behind-the-scenes people. We don't know them by name, most of them. But they're the behind-the-scenes people. And for you, maybe it's, maybe it's your spouse Maybe it's a member of your family, and this is someone who, who is behind the scenes in one sense of your life, but they have, they, they have been there with you no matter what. They are loyal to you. They are faithful to you. 
They know your failures, and maybe you have let that person down again and again and again and again, and they're still there for you. They're still standing with you. Everybody else may have turned away, but they still are there. Some years ago, and I started mentioning in wedding ceremonies that when we stand and we get married, husband and wife get married, that they are making a vow. We know that. We, we witness that in a wedding. But they're making a vow. And you know what the essence of that vow is? It's this. The essence of that vow is, beloved, three years from now, I'm going to be there for you. Five years from now, I'm going to be there for you. Ten years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, I'm going to be there. That's the promise at the altar when a couple gets married. I'm going to be there for you. Now, we know those promises aren't kept sometimes, and sometimes they're broken and marriages last. We understand that, but that's what the essence of the promise is. And you know what Paul is celebrating here? He's saying, you Philippians are like that. From the first day until now, you're still there. You're still there for me. And he thanks God for them. And maybe it's not a spouse or a family member. Maybe it's part of your spiritual family. Maybe there's someone who's a believer, a Christian, and they have stood with you no matter what. And if I can just, just pause for a second, that's something I appreciate about many of you. I didn't realize it until just a, a little while ago, but six years ago today, I stood on this platform and preached my first sermon at Wynn Baptist Church. I wasn't your pastor. I wasn't an interim pastor yet. But I preached the first sermon, Sunday before Thanksgiving, November 18, 2012. Now, some of you were here that day. You may not remember what I preached. I do. But, um, but you were there. And you have stayed through the first year and the second year, and the third year, and the fourth year, and you've been here nonstop. And you have prayed for me and my family and the staff that God has assembled here. You have prayed for us. You have loved us. You have expressed appreciation for us. You have stayed positive through the ups and downs. You have celebrated when God was at work. You have been patient. And you have been what Paul's describing here for the Philippians. I thank God because you have been there and you have stayed. And, um, and do you have someone in your life who's always there for you? You know right now you could pick up the phone, you could drive wherever they are. They could be halfway across the country. You could drive over to where they are. They're there for you. You need to talk to them, they'll talk with you. And do you have someone like that in your life? Can I ask you just one more time to bow your head and to close your eyes? Who is that person? Would you take just a moment right now and thank God for that consistent, loyal, faithful person that God has placed in your life? Would you thank God for that person?
Lord, when I think of faithful, loyal friends, I think of what you described in John 14 of your Holy Spirit. You said that when you left, you would send your spirit. He would be like a friend, a comforter, an encourager who would abide with us forever. Always there. Always. And Father, we thank you for those men and women in our life under the guidance of your Holy Spirit have been there for us. We thank you for those men and women. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, there's a third group that Paul gives for. And he does it in, uh, at the beginning of letters, so I want you to see this. Here's the third group, people who love me no matter what, who love me no matter what. Uh, not only are they willing to do anything, not only will they always be there for me, but these are people who love me no matter what. Now, dear one, these are, these are precious people. They shouldn't be rare, but they tend to be rare in our lives. Philemon chapter 1, verse 4. Listen to what Paul says. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Ephesians 1.15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Do you see something similar among all three of those verses? Do you think it's an accident that Paul, when he thought about a church, as God at work in that church, he said, well, I see a couple things in a church where God's at work. I see faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a living faith, not, a, not something written on a piece of paper, but people actively trusting and following Jesus Christ. He said, the second thing I see is that there's a supernatural love in the midst of those people, and they love all the people in that church, all of them. Now, that sounds nice until you begin to think about the people in the church. And we're not all the same, are we? We're not all the same. We're different. And some of those differences, well, frankly, they don't bother me. Some of those differences bother the hound out of me. And so when he talks about, I look in that church and I see God at work and I see a love for all the saints, you recognize that that's a love that overcomes every difference? a love that overcomes every point of disagreement or agreement. It, over, it doesn't matter what those things are because the first commitment is that you are my family, and because you are my family, that's the first thing I need to know about you, and that's really the last thing I need to know about you. And because I understand that you have faith in Jesus Christ, that makes you my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ, and my behavior towards you is already determined by the Word of God. I have to love you. And when God's at work, I will love you when he's at work in my heart. And so different is not wrong. God created every person. And those differences we ought to celebrate. 
And if God has put different people in your life, thank God for those different people. Have you ever noticed it's, I think God has a sense of humor. He tends to put opposites together in marriages. You ever notice that? Some of you never notice that. <laughs> Complete opposites. I'm going to just stop right there. Do you have someone in your life who loves you no matter what? Doesn't matter if you agree. Doesn't matter if, you're, if you get everything right. Doesn't matter if you make mistakes. Doesn't matter if you fall on your face. Doesn't matter if you have a good day or a bad day. That person is standing there in your life. God's put them there. That person's in your life, and they love you. They love you. They love you. They love you no matter what. Thank God for that person. Would you just bow your head right now and Close your eyes and just take a moment. Thank God for those people that come to mind who love you no matter what. The most beautiful and the most rare thing in the world, Lord, is unconditional love. A love that has no limits. A love that sets no boundaries except just to love. We know you love like that, and when we meet someone, we know that you have fostered that love in them. And we thank you, Lord, for those men and women in our life who love us, period. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The fourth group of people that Paul gives thanks for are people who love me more and more. People who love me more and more. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we see this. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. And that word abounds, it's not just a love no matter what, or a love that's growing for each person, but this is a love that is increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing. In other words, your affection, your, your commitment to do what's best for everyone around you, that, that love in you is the love of God, and as it grows in you, it increases and overflows more and more through your life to every other believer in the church. That's what he's describing. Not only is the love of God evident because you love everybody in the church, but that love for everybody in the church is growing. In other words, you're loving more today than you did yesterday. More loving, not less, than 20 years ago. And it's overflowing, abounding, abounding, growing, increasing. You have someone in your life whose love for you keeps growing and growing. Dear one, if you have someone like that, it's a gift from God. And we can thank God for those persons. Now, as we think about these four groups of people this week, very practically, 
I think it would be valuable for you to take time. You thank God for them right here. To just take time to call them, write a note, and just say, look, dear one, I thanked God for you this week. And when we express appreciation, it ought to be authentic. It ought to be real from the heart. It ought to be specific. Let people know exactly what it is you're, you're thankful for. And we ought to not wait till one day a year. It should be a way of life, continually giving thanks for these people that God has put in our life. They are not there by accident. It's a work of God. As I close, there's two things I want to I close with. I, two, really kind of two questions. How can I love like this? I thank God for the people in my life who love like this, but how can I love like this? How can I be a person who loves to the point that I'm willing to lay down my life, that I'm going to be there no matter what, that I'm going to love no matter what the differences are, and that with God's help, that love's going to increase and deepen and increase and deepen. How can I do that? I want to share one scripture with you that helps us understand how I do anything that God asks me to do, especially the things that seem impossible. Have you ever read something in the scripture that God wants you to do and you said, I can't do that? You ever read that or am I the only one? I've read a lot of things like that. I can't do that. I'll read it and I'll say, that's beyond my ability. I don't even know where to begin. And the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 3.12, Paul tells us exactly how it's going to happen in your life and my life. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Did you catch that? And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and all, just as we do to you. So, so as we have been learning and studying for a couple of years now, I can't do the Christian life. When he says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I cannot do that unless the Holy Spirit of God indwelling me supplies me with what I need. And he is more than willing. He is more than able. And it's the life, that's the whole, whole essence of the gospel, is that I don't live by a set of, just a set of rules anymore. I don't go out and just say, well, it says, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, and I go and try to do that. I read that, and I respect that, and that's the truth, and it is good, the law is good, but I can't have within myself to live that law. Romans 7. But there is within every Christian the Holy Spirit of God, and he is there to be for us all that Jesus would be if it was his life, and it is his life, being lived out in us. I've been crucified with Christ. I have died with Christ, Paul would write. He says it in several places. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So how do I love like this? I turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't, but you can I'm trusting you to supply to me all that you want me to be in this relationship or these relationships. I'm trusting you, Lord, through your power in me to supply me with a kind of love that would lay down its life for a brother or sister in Christ. Ask God. Turn to him by faith. Say, Lord, I can't, but you can. Trust him. Ask him. Second question, as we paused after each of those descriptions of people that God has put into our life, if you're a Christian today, 
you may have easily thought of men and women who fit that description in your life, but, but you know, you may be saying, how can I find a love like this? I don't have people in my life like that. No one came to mind who would lay down their life for me. No one came to mind who is faithful and loyal to me. No one came to mind who loves me in spite of my failures and my faults and my sins and my weaknesses and my foul-ups. No one comes to mind who loves me in spite of those things. But dear one, there is somebody like that. And his name is Jesus. And he does love you that way. He does. The Bible tells us that the Father sent Jesus into this world because he loved you. You say, well, whatever has God done for me? God made you. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. He created you. He gave you life. You couldn't breathe if it wasn't for him. He has He has put you here. He loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son into this world so that you might know him. He didn't want you just to guess what God is like or who God is like. He said, I want you to know me. I want you to know what I'm like. And he sent his son into this world so that you might know who God is like, what he's like. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sins. Everything that stands between you and this loving but holy God. And he carried your sins away. And he wants you this morning to put your trust in him. You were made for him. There is someone who loves you this way. His name is Jesus.